Well, good morning. Good to see you guys here in Maryville. Welcome to everyone at our Bearden location, all those watching online. Glad you're here. I want to start today just by saying thank you because last Sunday uh, doesn't happen unless hundreds of volunteers are uh, serving, uh, sacrificing, committing uh, to do so many things like park at the mall or park at the North Lot and serve in both services. And so I'm so thankful. And the reason why we can see 36 people get baptized and almost 4,000 people engage from coming on Saturday nights to Sunday mornings and online and Bearden is, is because of you guys. And so I just wanted to say thank you. And I wanna give you a round of applause this morning. You guys can join me for everybody that served. Thank you, guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's a joy to be a part of a church where people actually serve and engage. Uh, If you've got a Bible, let's go to John chapter 21. John chapter 21 is where we'll be. Uh, Business professors Gary Hamill and C.K. Prahalad wrote about an experiment that was conducted with a group of monkeys. They put four monkeys into a room, and in the middle of the room, they they uh, put a large pole, and at the top of the pole, they put a bunch of bananas. Well, immediately, one hungry monkey climbed that pole, and right as he was about to grab the bananas, they dumped a large barrel of cold water on the monkey, and so he squealed and ran back down the pole. He failed to get the bananas. Uh, One by one, the other monkeys uh, ran up the pole as well, tried to get the bananas, and as soon as uh, they got close to it, the water was doused on them as well, and they all uh, quit and ran back down the pole. Um, what they initially did next was that they took out one of the original monkeys and they put a new monkey inside the same room, and sure enough, that monkey wanted to climb the pole and grab the bananas, and as soon as he tried, All the other monkeys, the three other monkeys, grabbed and pulled at him and would not allow him to climb the pole. He tried several times and failed to climb every single time. Next, one by one, they began to remove the original monkeys and they were placing in these new monkeys. And every time they went in, they originally started to climb up the pole and they would pull them down. It wasn't before long before all the original monkeys were gone And now these four monkeys were left into the the room and every single one of them had never been doused with the water, the cold water, but they stopped trying to actually climb the pole. And so you can kind of see how this might relate to human beings because just like monkeys, we fail in life and when we fail, we tend to stop trying. Not only do we tend to stop trying, but we try to prevent other people from trying. And over time, if we don't try anything new, if we allow failure to stop us from actually doing what God has called us to do, we're eventually gonna fall into a rut. There's some people here listening today that are in a rut and One of the reasons why we get into a rut in our life and feel like nothing is actually working is because we've experienced so much failure in our life or we've experienced so many bad decisions that they start to pile up on us and and we just kind of feel like a failure. The danger is that when we fail and we don't overcome that, then we don't just look at those decisions as a, a sinful decision or a bad decision. We start to think that, 
well, we are a failure. And so let me ask you this question. If you fail, does that make you a failure? If you fail at something, does that make you a failure? And I would say, obviously, of course not. Because everybody fails from time to time. Everybody messes up. And it's what you do after that failure that actually matters. And if you view yourself as a failure or if you've allowed failure to put you into this rut, I want to encourage you today because God has a message for you. You would like to hear me preach that if you just follow God's plan and get in the center of God's will, then you won't, you'll never fail again and you'll never be discouraged. And, and uh, I would love to be able to say that, but the truth is I'd have to ignore half the Bible to say that because it's just not true. I wouldn't be able to tell you about the failures of, of uh, Noah or the failures of Moses, the failures of Abraham or even Paul. You see, God's purpose in our life is, is a marathon. It's, it's not just a sprint, right? And in a marathon, you know, if you're going to run the long distance, you're going to get tired, especially when you have to run up the hill. There's a sense of just being and feeling tired that comes over us when we're running in a long race. There's ups, there's downs, and, and that's part of God's plan and purpose for our life. But the difference between average people and those who actually fulfill God's calling in their life is their response to failure. If you've got your Bible, John 21 talks about one of the biggest failures that we read about in the Bible. This is a sermon series that we've called Christ Killers, Traitors, and Villains. And we looked at the traitor Judas. We looked at the villain Pilate last week. Today we look at yet another failure, which is a man by the name of Peter. We know his story. One of Jesus's best friends, uh, Peter was more of a kind of ready, fire, aim kind of guy. He was a little bit impulsive. He was very passionate. Sometimes he reacted before he thought things through. Uh, how many of you guys know somebody like this? Anybody married to this person? Uh, can be a little frustrating, but, but you gotta love his, you know, his, his passion um, in his life. You remember the story, the night Jesus was arrested, he told the disciples, Peter in particular, to pray for this moment. And uh, he was so tired that he fell asleep, so he, 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 didn't, he didn't follow through with what Jesus asked him to do. And then all of a sudden, the, the guards arrived, you know, with their, you know, swords, and they're coming to arrest Jesus. And Peter kind of impulsively wakes up from his sleep, pulls a, a dagger out, and then in an attempt to defend Jesus and protect Jesus, right, he's going to come to his aid, this mighty warrior, he cuts off some dude's ear. <laughs> it's like, have you ever thought about that? Like, how bad of a shot was that? Like, you totally didn't stab in the heart, didn't, didn't go for a vital organ. Somehow he misses so bad that he cuts dude's ear off. And it's like, I can imagine the disciples later going, so the ear, what, what was your thought behind that? <laughs> and Peter like, well, I thought the ear would really send a message that I meant business. <laughs> it's like, no, that was a bad miss, you know? That's just kind of his nature, right? He's this impulsive kind of uh, reactive kind of guy. And I re you also remember that Jesus, the, 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 uh, before his arrest, he tells Peter that day that he's going to deny that he knows Jesus three times 
before the rooster crowed. In, in other words, before the next day happened. And so you would think that with a warning like this, there was no way that Peter would fail at this one. Like, if, if, you know, if you had the warning, you're going you're gonna to say it three times that you don't know me. You know, you could, you could feel like, you know what? No way. No way. I'm going to be ready. Uh, it's not going to happen to me. And sure enough, this uh, servant girl, as he is warming himself by the fire that evening, he can see Jesus on trial. And so that he's in the vicinity in the area. And this girl says, hey, you're, you're one of uh, his followers, aren't you? And he says, no, I'm not. Someone else comes up to him and says, hey, you, you've got an accent like the guys that follow him. You're, you're one of his followers. And he says, no, I'm not. And then yet a third time, someone looks at him and said, hey, I saw you with Jesus. And he cusses and he, he gets angry and he says, no, I don't know him. And, and then right then, morning had come and the rooster crows. And it says in Luke chapter 22, that then the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And Peter remembered the word that Jesus had spoken to him. Imagine catching Jesus's eyes right after you fail like that. We don't know what happened exactly, but we know uh, Peter ran away at that point. We don't see him at the crucifixion, and we don't see him until three days later in, in the New Testament, but we know that he had to feel ashamed. We know that he had to feel guilty. We know that that failure must have, have, have you know, put in his mind that because he messed up, God could never use him again, that he would never become the leader that, that, that Jesus you know, wanted him to become. He could have felt useless. He could have given up. Three days later, Easter happens and Jesus rose from the grave. He appears to uh, the disciples. And, and then in John chapter 21, we see the most important part of Peter's story. We see what Jesus does with people who fail. We see how Jesus deals with people who mess up and people that need a second chance because Peter needed a second chance chance, but will he get it? Does God work this way? Or if you've messed up today and you failed miserably, or, or you've got one of these really top two or three failures of all time, like God's not going to use you anymore, or is there hope for us? Well, let's read the story here in John 21, beginning in verse three. It says, Simon Peter said to them, said to the other disciples, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So they went night fishing, uh, fishing all night. Just as day was breaking, the sun's coming up. Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples didn't know that it was him. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because the quantity of fish the disciple of that whom Jesus loved, this is John writing about himself. You gotta love this, the, the one that Jesus really loved. You know, I always love that about the Gospel of John. Therefore, he said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. Again, kind of acting before he thought it through, right? His shirt's off, he's fishing, he's working hard. Uh, in the Jewish tradition, in order to greet a rabbi, that was a religious kind of introduction. So you wouldn't have like been stripped without the shirt on. And so he, he throws on his garment and then he throws himself into the sea. 
Verse 8, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. And you can see John kind of writing this sarcastically, like Peter lunges into the water and swims in, and then we got to drag the fish by ourselves, for they were not far from land, but about 100 yards off. And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. So Jesus is on the shore and He's already got some fish, and like a man's man, he's grilling on an open fire, praise the Lord. And uh, he says, hey, bring some of your fish, and we'll, we'll all you know, kind of cook it up, and we'll eat breakfast together. And, and so they have this moment where they are um, with Jesus yet again, the, the resurrected Jesus. In verse 3, it says, Peter uh, says, hey, let's go fishing, or I'm going fishing. It's interesting to me. They all jump in and they go fishing with him. And I think it's interesting because we tend to go back to what we know. We we tend to go back to the things in our life which are familiar. Think about the last three years of their life. They had seen miracles. They have witnessed the, the Son of God do incredible things, teach incredible things, see him die, see him resurrected from the grave. And yet after all of that, they still just go back onto the lake and fish. <laughs> Like nothing happened. If they go back to what is normal, they, it didn't quite sink in yet what, what he had told them to do, what, what he was asking and requiring them to do. They just kind of fall back into the normal routine. Now, I can tell you, I, I wish I couldn't, but how many times have I seen over the years people at our church who don't know Christ or maybe they're far from God and they start attending and they're excited about the music and they're excited about ministry and they go to base camp and they start to discover their purpose in life and they experience Christ in a different level and it's like this spiritual high. And they just are growing and God begins to bless and they are serving and things just seem to be going great. But I can't tell you how many times over the years of doing that, that, that just the normal mundaneness and, and just kind of routines of life slip back into our life. And even though we had an experience of, of, of the spiritual high, people just tend to slide back into what they know. This is what the disciples were experiencing. And it's what some people experience in life, no matter how high that is, if that is not a genuine love for Jesus, then they just slip back in to what they know. They've been fishing all night. They haven't caught anything Jesus on the shore says, hey, why don't, you, why don't you throw the nets on the right side? And as soon as they do, it's like this large quantity of fish, over 100 fish they catch in that moment. And, and then it kind of hits them. Hey, we've experienced this before. Earlier in the Gospel of John, they had a similar experience. And so John's like, it's Jesus. And then Peter throws himself into the water to go to Jesus. It's interesting that a lot of times in life when we're experiencing failure, and so they're fishing all night and they're not catching anything, a lot of times what we do is we feel like we have to move, we have to change things drastically, we have to go to this place or change jobs or get a new spouse or whatever it is. And, and oftentimes it's not about going to a new home or a new place. Oftentimes it's just about who you're listening to. And in this moment, when they listened to Jesus, they caught a bunch of fish and I just wanted to encourage some of you today that you're desperate and, and, and you think a move here or a change here is going to solve the problems. But we all know no matter where you go, you're still going to bring your problems with you wherever 
you go and you got to deal with your issues. And sometimes it's not about where you need to be. It's sometimes it's about who you're listening to. And some of you just aren't listening to the Lord today. I want to encourage you to do that. The, the disciples are, are here. Peter is uh, going to the shore. And, and at this point, they've caught so much fish, it's, it's overflowing in the net. And, and so as they are going um, to Jesus, you, you, you might see here in verses 9 through 14, like a nervous Peter. But we don't see that. He's excited to be with Jesus. He's excited to be near him. The guy that failed is excited to be near Jesus. And so they go to the shore. He's got this fire rolling and, and um, they're cooking up some fish. They have some breakfast. And, um, and as they're doing that, this next section, let's jump down to verse 15, uh, happens. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my sheep. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter at this point is upset. He's a little frustrated. He's grieved because he said it to him a third time. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. We don't know this for sure, but tradition says that Peter was crucified uh, later because of his faith. And he didn't want to be crucified upright like Jesus was. He wasn't worthy. And so he was crucified upside down. That's not in the Bible, but it's kind of a tradition that people believe. And this is kind of alluding, Jesus is showing, this is how it's going to end for you, Peter. But the final word is follow me. How many of you would do that? You're going to die on a cross like me. Follow me. So if I don't follow you, does that mean no cross? What are my options on this level here? This is what Jesus is teaching us here that I want you to gather and I want us to apply to our life today. Many of us are discouraged. Many of us have failed. We don't even like to talk about failure because as soon as I say the word failure, that number one or number two mistake in your life comes into your mind and the guilt and the shame come back. So the question I want us to wrestle with today is how does Jesus turn failure into purpose? I'm not talking about how does Jesus turn failure into making you feel self-confident again and go get him, brother. I'm not talking about how does Jesus turn failure, you know, into this breakthrough in your life. I'm telling you, and what we're seeing in the scripture is how does Jesus turn it into purpose? That's much deeper than feeling good about yourself. That's much deeper than self-confidence. That, that, that's that's a, a level that many of us don't reach, but it all kind of falls onto his purpose for your life. And so we could write a million books on how to overcome failure in our life, but in this particular passage, here are three ways that Jesus does this. And the first one is he reminds you who you are. He reminds you who you are. What's interesting that Jesus never calls Peter by his first name, which was Simon. 
Remember, Jesus changed his name from Simon to Peter, which in Greek meant the rock. But here, Jesus is referring to him as Simon, son of John. Nowhere else does he do this. I take this to mean that what Jesus is kind of bringing and drawing Peter back into as he enters this most important conversation is remember who you are, Peter. Remember that you are not the rock without me. Remember your your humble beginnings. You're just Simon, son of John. You're just Simon. If it wasn't for me, then, then you wouldn't have gone through and experienced what you've experienced. We wouldn't be sitting here right now, Simon, if it wasn't for me. Remember who you are and what I'm about to do for you, Simon. I'm about to remind you of your failure and I'm about to uh, restore you and recommission you. I'm about to change the trajectory of your life based on this one conversation. Remember who you are. You're just Simon, Son of John, but listen, that's good enough for me. It's not about your name. It's not about where you come from. It's not about if you come from a a great family or a bad family or it doesn't matter if you were raised right or raised wrong. It doesn't matter what kind of failure you've experienced in your life. It doesn't matter what kind of education you've had or haven't had or how much money you made or haven't made, Simon is enough. And can I remind you today who you are in Christ? If you've given your life to Jesus, if you have faith in Jesus, the scripture teaches us a lot about who you are. The Bible says that you are forgiven. The scripture says if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. So that means that when you sin today, you're, 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 you're experiencing something that, that everybody's gonna fight against. That is sin and our fleshly desires. But because of faith in Christ, we have been forgiven. That means my past sins are forgiven, my present sins are forgiven, and my future sins are forgiven as well. So I don't walk in, 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 in this shameful agony of my failure. I accept and realize that Jesus has forgiven me. The Bible says in John 15 that you are chosen. You did not choose me, he says, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Isn't that beautiful that God chose you? He wasn't walking, you weren't walking along one day and be like, you know what? I really need to have faith in Jesus and get my act together. Jesus, I commit to, no, 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 no. You only do that because God drew you to that moment. He, he, he showed you who he was and he chose you, which is very encouraging. Like, oh my gosh, God chose me? A wretched sinner? How, how did he, no, yeah, he forgave you and he chose you. The Bible says that you're a new creation. Second Corinthians 5, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's the old you. Sometimes you dip into the old you behavior, but that's not who you are. That's the new you dipping into the the. The, the disgusting muck of your past. And we do that and we're tempted, but we don't live there. We get out of that and we recognize that we're a new creation. Our thought life is a new creation. 
our behavior is a new creation, our, our life is a new, our spirit is a new creation. I've got bigger and better things because God is moving me forward. See, you're an overcomer. The scripture says that you are more than a conqueror. Romans 8, 37 says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, through Jesus who loved you. You can conquer the sin in your life. You can conquer the failure. You can conquer the mistakes. You can conquer the bad marriage. You can conquer the issues that you're going through and feeling today. You are more than a conqueror through him, not through my strength, not through a a good self-help book, through him who gives you strength. You see, Jesus wants to remind us who we are. You failed? Yep, Peter failed too. I failed many a time. And in those big failures and in what you might call the smaller failures, remember who you are in Christ. The second thing that he helps Peter with is that he calls him, he calls you to declare your love for him. This is an important step. Say, why do I have to tell Jesus I love him? Why don't you tell your wife you love her, right? You you tell her that, right? Well, some guys say, well, I told her on my wedding day, so why do I have to keep telling her? I ain't a very good marriage, is it? (laughs) You're gonna struggle if that's your attitude. No, I've gotta declare my love for him because it helps me, it reminds me of what I'm doing and where I'm going. Same reason why you tell your kids and your spouse you love them consistently. If you don't, change that today. But you tell them that because they, they need to hear it from you. You need to hear yourself say it. Jesus doesn't need to hear Peter say this, but Peter needs to hear Peter say this. Yes, I love you. I'm declaring my love for you. Essentially, what Jesus is saying, I want you to prioritize your love for me. And that's the kicker. A lot of people say, oh, I love Jesus. But your kids don't see it. A lot of people say, oh, I love Jesus. But your boss doesn't see it. What Jesus is telling Peter here is, I want you to prioritize your love so that others see it. He says, do you love me more than these? Now, what do the these represent? Could be three different things. It could mean, do you love me more than you love the other disciples? You love these guys, but do you love me, Jesus says, more than than them, your friends? It could mean, do you love love me more than these, the, the nets and the boat and the fish? In other words, your career. Do you love me more than your career? It could mean, do you love me Um, essentially more than these other guys love me. You know, do do you love me more than they do? Could mean all three of those. And and I think we need to apply in every situation. Where's your priority and love for Jesus? Is it there? Are you running to him? Are you running away from him? Has it prioritized your life and your schedule? Do you love your career more than you love Jesus? Do you love to see your kids score soccer goals and, and hit base hits more than you love Jesus? These are the practical ways that we can look at our life. And if we'll be honest, God will reveal where your heart is today. He calls you to declare your love for him and to prioritize that love. And some of you are prioritizing your painful past instead of your love for Jesus. And it's dominating your present. Peter in this moment, he stopped running away. And now he is moving towards Jesus. He's jumping out of the boat. He knows he's failed, but he's moving towards Jesus. Are you moving towards Jesus today? 
Are you wallowing in pain and, and nothing's ever gonna work out for you? Are you just kind of in the cycle of work and kids and work? And are you moving towards him? I think that's the question. Jesus wants him to be close. Jesus, you might think, is gonna wag his finger at him when he comes to the shore. He has a fire there, which is interesting, and it kind of had to remind Peter of the last time he was around a fire. <laughs> the last time he was around a fire that we know of was when he was denying that he knew Jesus. And so here Jesus is kind of recreating the moment. And you might think that, that Jesus' response here is gonna be, shame on you. You might think that Jesus' response is, I knew you were gonna mess up, you sorry dog. You might think he was just going to be sarcastic and, and I know you love me, but you didn't love me last time you were around the fire, did you? But that's not how God works. Great parenting advice, by the way. It's not how Jesus works. It's not how parents should work with their kids. And we definitely, as followers of Jesus, don't want him to treat us that way. He asked him three times, right? Why does he ask him three times if you love me? And the reality is, I believe that it's because Peter denied him three times. And so Jesus here is affirming him three times. Jesus wants to show Peter that he has been fully forgiven. All three times you denied me, I am fully forgiving you. And the truth is, Peter did fail, but Jesus forgave and he wants to do the same in your life. And some of you say, yeah, 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 man, I know, I know, I know, I know. But the reason why you can't move on is because you haven't done number three. Jesus is then inviting you. He's inviting Peter to move forward and embrace your calling. He wants every single one of us. He invites you today to move forward and embrace your calling. Jesus said, do you love me? then show it, <laughs> then show it. How do we show it? He tells him, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Don't tell, me you, don't, don't tell me you love me, show your kids you love me. Don't just tell your small group you love me, show your small group you love me. And don't just tell your boss you love Jesus, show them that you love Jesus. Jesus said, because you love me, then go make a difference in someone's life. Embrace your calling. Every single one of us have a calling upon our life to make disciples in different ways, gifted and unique opportunities to do that. But he doesn't want us to just talk about our love. He actually wants us to act on our love. I'm not saying that we just have to get over our pain. I'm not saying that you just have to forget about it. No, I'm saying that when we say yes to Jesus, when we embrace our love for him and embrace our calling, we will actually move forward. It's okay to move forward, even though you've been hurt. Jesus would say, do you love me today? Okay, great. Let's move forward together. You don't have to have it all figured out. Doesn't mean all the feelings are gonna go away but it does mean it's a marathon and you're gonna have to push through the awkwardness and the uncomfortability and the not knowing things. And you're gonna have to put yourself out there 
a little bit. But let's move forward together. I know it hurts. I know you've felt ashamed, but I can use your story to help somebody else who's going through something extremely similar to what you have gone through. You've got to move forward though. You've got to find that healing that only comes in Christ. Sometimes we just want healing without the serving. <laughs> we want healing without embracing the call of God on our life. And, and that's just not how God works, guys. The way that he works is as you serve, as you minister to people, as you embrace your calling, he heals a little bit at a time. That's how he works. Jesus would say, do you love me? We would say, yes. He would say, let's move forward then with the business of fulfilling your calling today. Folks, look, look at the high schools around this area. Maybe some of you are not around teenagers much, but you can imagine that the first generation to grow up with the internet, social media, and iPhones is a pretty messed up generation in a lot of ways. You can imagine that the parents of this generation are pretty clueless when it comes to how to handle these things. <laughs> Many books will be written in the next 15 to 20 years on how to handle social media and the internet, but we're the guinea pigs, right? My generation, we're the guinea pigs. And I don't care how old you are or how young you are, there are a bunch of lost teenagers, middle schoolers all over this city. And I know you're busy. I know you got your own problems. But I also know you watch Fox News and you complain about this country. And a new president is not gonna help. It's not. The only thing that will help is if this church and other churches like us get over ourselves, stop wallowing in our failure and our pain, start realizing that there are others that need our help. I know you don't know it all, but you know enough. You know enough you could impact someone with what you do know. And when we say the next gen matters, it's not just a nice flowery statement to attract people to our church. We really believe that. And they need you. And my point is, if we want our communities to change, then we have to start training and developing young people to think through the lens of the gospel and not through the lens of a political party. The gospel is our only hope. To overcome your pain, the gospel is the only hope. Drugs, alcohol, you know, a psychiatrist might help, all those things might numb and move you. And the gospel is the only thing that will heal. I love what one psychiatrist actually said. He said, this is um, Dr. Carol Manger. He was asked, what would you advise a person to do if he felt a nervous breakdown coming? 
Most people expected him to reply, consult the psychiatrist because he was one. But to his astonishment, he replied, lock up your house, go across the railroad tracks, find someone in need and do something to help that person. The doctor said, generous people are rarely mentally unhealthy people. (laughs) Because the truth is a person is less likely to focus on himself if he's trying to help someone else. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to look around our culture and see the drug addiction, see the, the opioid addiction. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to see all the marriages that are failing and in trouble and on the verge of divorce today. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that our, our community is hurting. And so no matter how God has gifted you or who you're passionate about helping, the priority that God has placed on our life is to love Jesus. And if you love Jesus, show him, show somebody. And I know the, the, the reality is we're trying to, oh, okay, how do I overcome my pain? How do I overcome, you know, my big mistakes? And, 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 and Jesus is, is, is very clearly telling us, remember who you are. Remember who you are in Christ, right? You were once a lost fish and someone came to you and shared the gospel with you. Remember who you are now that you're in Christ. Remember that it's about prioritizing our love for Jesus. When we prioritize him, our life then comes into priority with him. And then we accept that invitation to move forward and embrace the calling. God's got a purpose and a calling for every single one of you. And some of you just have never embraced it. You're just running around like a chicken with your head cut off, hurting, trying to find a good time here and there. But you're wasting your life. And Jesus invites you like Peter to be restored, to be recommissioned. And maybe today that's your that's what you need. You need a recommissioning, a refocus. Yes, this is where I need to be. This is what I've got to do. I got to I got to got to get rid of these distractions and all of the the junk that's out there and around me on social media and I've got to get back to the to the priority of loving Jesus. And that's what I I would invite you to do right now. Would you just bow your heads with me? Truth is some of you are wrestling with failure in your life, wrestling with some bad decisions. And you're just kind of stuck in this rut. I hope today was a good reminder of what God is calling you to be. And I wanna just encourage you to take this moment, take this time right here, right now, in the quietness of this moment, to experience this recommissioning moment with Jesus. Maybe it is a recommitment that you love Jesus today. And you just tell him, you just tell him. Maybe it's a, some sin in your life and you know it's sinful and you just need to repent of that sin and turn towards him again. Maybe you've got to release that pain and walk in who you are and Whatever it is, can we just today recommit our life to Christ? Could you today just confess that sin? Would you today 
begin to make a commitment and say, you know what, from this day forward, I'm moving forward. I'm moving forward. I'm gonna embrace the calling that God has in my life. Would you just begin to pray now all over the room? Just pray. Thank you so much for watching this video. We'd love for you to like the video and leave a comment. And we also encourage you to subscribe and click the bell so you never miss a post from Foothills Church. To learn more about FC, just head to our website by going to foothillschurch.com or by clicking the link in the description below.